0: this is pet life radio let's talk pets it's all behave with Arden Moore this show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Arden
1: Moore.
2: Welcome to the O Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Zombies, animal zombies. I got your attention, didn't I? Now, maybe that hair is rising a little bit up on your back, or maybe you're looking around. But don't be frightened, listeners. You're safe. Well, for now, that's because our special guest today knows all about real-life monsters of the animal kingdom. She is the author of a must-get new book called Animal Zombies and Other Blood-Sucking Beasts, Creepy Creatures, and Real-Life Monsters. Please give pause and applause to author Hannah Stiefel. Hey, welcome to the show, Hannah.
1: Thank you so much. Love being here.
2: All right, now, Hannah's going to be our tour guide on this episode of all things gory, gross and creepy. But first, we got to take a commercial break. So, you know the drill. Sit and stay. We'll be right back.
0: Time for a pause. For furry ones actually, sit and stay. All behave, we'll be right back. Obehave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now, back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore.
2: Welcome back to the Obehave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest today is a best-selling, award-winning author by the name of Hannah Stiefel. Her latest book is one that you better read with all the lights on. And it's called Animal Zombies and Other Bloodsucking Beasts, Creepy Creatures, and Real-Life Monsters. I mean, I got to tell you, Hannah, after going through this beautiful book that's produced by National Geographic Kids, you're making the show The Walking Dead look like a walk in the park. Yeah,
1: thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, are you a fan of The Walking Dead show? or So, it's funny because really, I'm really, very squeamish when it comes to horror. Um. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> It works for me. We had actually recently, my husband and I went to the movies. We ended up in the wrong theater and uh, right at all the trailers were horror. And my husband said to the woman next to us, what movie is this? And she said, Halloween. And we were out of there. uh (laughs) I'm very squeamish. Yeah. But um, for the book, for like the real life monsters I'm all in. All right. Well, and folks, after the show,
2: I really want you to dash over to her website. It's her name. It's C-H-A-N-A dot com, And I got to say, you look like this mild mannered mom. And <laughs> oh, my gosh, you write zombie books. Yes, there's a dark side. There's definitely Ooh. a dark side. Well, you know, let's just get right started. You know, you explain in the book, Animal Zombies, how did the word zombie even originate?
1: So it's really interesting in each chapter and there are several chapters of different kinds of monsters. So in the zombie chapter, I go in each chapter, I go into the mythology of each kind of critter. So zombies go back to their origins. They have like different mythologies. Mm -hmm. So this one is about voodoo and um, it comes from Haiti and the slave trade, unfortunately. And, Apparently they would bury slaves and there were spirits that would come and unbury the slaves and um, set them oh. on like the living dead. Yeah. So the kids who want a little break from the, the real action of the live monsters, we have the mythologies of where zombies come from in mythology also. Wow.
2: And you know, your background though, let's go back to your childhood because this is, I think this might've been very telling about the career path you're going to do. I know you're an amazing author, but, Tell our listeners about your first uh, swamp tromp in the Everglades.
1: Ah, okay. So people wonder, like, where did I get these ideas from, and why do I I love this kind of thing? So it goes back to my childhood. I grew up in South Florida, where nature is pretty wild. And uh, my parents loved nature and would take us to the Everglades often to see wildlife. And we would go on these swamp tromps with a ranger, park ranger. And you kind of just roll up your jeans, and you walk in the muck. And we would look for interesting insects and birds and snakes. I asked my mom recently, like how they let us do this as small children. There are probably (laughs) alligators out there. My feeling is that back then, the alligators were a little more rare than they are today. Probably wouldn't do the same thing today, but we did go on trips where we saw lots of alligators in the wild. And I think all those things turned me on. We also had a a canoe growing up. We lived next to a canal. So we would drop the canoe into the canal and go paddling around looking for interesting creatures. And one creepy fact, yeah, go ahead. yeah. Well, no, but are you one of many kids or what was the pecking yeah. order? So I'm the, I'm the second of four. We all love these nature trips. We still do. One creepy fact is that we had a lot of lizards and snakes as pets. And so uh, when they would die, we had a jar called pickled pets. Oh, no, <laughs> it wasn't. for <laughs> eating. It was for science projects. My dad was a surgeon and he found these creatures fascinating and we would study them. And I know that and in retrospect, that sounds really creepy. But that was part of my so-called normal childhood.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, what part Mark lives in South Florida and I used to be a reporter for almost 10 years at the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. So I lived in Lake Worth and Lantana and I lived in Lake Worth, you know, actually West Lake Worth. Where I was near the Loxahatchee and, you know, the Everglades and all that's so where where you growing up? We were in
1: North Miami Beach, so it was probably okay. you know, about a 45-minute ride to the Everglades. Wow, that's so yeah. funny. Yeah. And then,
2: so we know that your dad was a surgeon and you kind of inherited that exploratory scientific genes. Where did you get your writing genes
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think from school, my teachers, I, from a very young age, my teachers always encouraged me to write. My I even remember my third grade teachers in my fifth grade. And they just, you know, they kind of labeled me as the writer. And uh-huh. my parents encouraged each of us to follow our passions. So throughout high school and college, I uh, always was writing for pap- local, like the newspapers and everything. And then I went to grad school at NYU. They have a program in science, health, and environmental reporting. So I did a master's in science writing. And wow. down the block was Scholastic and I did an internship there and became editor of a science magazine. So that's how my science writing came about. That
2: put all the pieces together nicely, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, you really you like to write two kids and the kid and all of us now. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> So let's get into the ghoulish. I was going through the book and it I got to tell you, the artwork, the photos, I just can imagine these photographers getting up close and personal with wasp and deer mites and jellyfish and all that. But
1: <laughs> what do you think about the way it was
2: portrayed, the, the images? Because they really do bounce out yeah, at you. I think
1: you can't do better than National Geographic when it comes to wildlife images. They did a spectacular job. And if you look at the book, I have in each chapter a different scientist that right, I to those like creatures. That. But in the one on zombies, I interviewed the nature photographer, Anand Varma, because he did a lot of the uh, photos for the zombie chapter. And he shared some of his secrets about how he got them to sit still and how how he made the lighting just eerie and beautiful at the same time. So while these creatures are definitely creepy, he somehow made them glow and look really spectacularly beautiful also at the same time. Oh my God,
2: for sure. Well, let's get some goodies. We don't want to share every little blood sucking tale from this book called animal zombies, but I have a little bit of a creepy fascination now with wasp and and what they do to ladybugs, it's kind of like a creepy version of Lady and the Tramp. Uh, how do you see? What's the connection to Lady and the Tramp? Well, you know, Lady and the Tramp, it's those two, you know, you know they have this love affair and they suck their little spaghetti noodles and you think <laughs> how sweet. But this is kind of a macabre version, I guess. What's yeah. going on with the wasp and the poor yeah, little ladybug?
1: In this case, the, the ladybug is a little bit clueless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the wasp, uh, it's not a love relationship. The wasp kind of. No. The wasp kind of takes over the ladybug and has her do his bidding. So her, I would say they're both female. So the wasp injects some venom into the brain of the ladybug and kind of stuns (laughs) her. And so, you know, she's in this frozen state. She's immobile. She can't move. And then basically the wasp is looking for a place to lay its egg. And it lays the egg in the abdomen of the ladybug, where it goes through all the stages of metamorphosis inside the ladybug. And she acts as a, a protector, a bodyguard for that larva, growing larva. And if you look at the picture, Anand Varma captured this beautifully. He actually has the larva kind of glowing there. And it almost, it grows like, it looks like it's growing between the legs of the ladybug. So when the oh, predator yeah. comes by, she swats it away. And then slowly but surely, the uh, new wasp emerges and flies away. So I learned from this, researching this, that some of the ladybugs actually survived the process. No way. Oh, Do they have to go oh, for them congen- are injected again? again by a new wasp. So <laughs> can't wait. They don't learn. I mean,
2: yes, you know, exactly. ladies, don't be clueless. That's the message. But
1: exactly, look out for for stinging wasps. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord!
2: Well, I'm laughing because I'm in uh, deep in the heart of Dallas, and I have a a backyard office. It's a a tiny house, and I've been opening up the doors because we're getting nice the nice sunny but cool breeze. Because I have three dogs, and there's ladybugs that float into my tiny house onto oh. the ceiling, and when they drop, I catch them like a softball player. Oh. And I carefully usher them outside. Now I'm realizing they're like, no, I'm getting away <laughs> from the wicked wasp. <laughs> <laughs> so now I will have to find them a home. I'll have to rehome them, right? Yes, for sure. <laughs> oh my Protect gosh. those ladybugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, though, I wanted to ask you about, because this is more for yuck factor for people. You have a whole a section called Animal Aliens. And tell us what those earwigs are. Do how they got their name and what they do inside our ears. Ooh, I think
1: there's a yeah. I think they're a little overblown. Those earwigs—they're really creepy. And if you could imagine something burrowing into your—I think the mythology is that they burrow into your brain. Yeah, it's like bugs sometimes get in your ear. People end up going to the emergency room. You know, they don't actually (laughs) get into your brain through your ear. It's an old myth. But that chapter is really about we call them aliens because they're animal invaders, like uh, creatures that live on or inside our bodies, but also the ones that live in our homes. Because uh, in Dallas and Teaneck, New Jersey, where I live, every house has bugs, as you mentioned. And um, there's an entomologist who's, um, who's in my book who researched how many bugs live in a suburban home. And they used a home or some homes in North Carolina as samples. And these weren't bug infested homes. These were just typical suburban homes. And last I heard in the book, it says a hundred species. Last I heard there are up to 200 species. Oh my Um, God. Different kinds of critters that live in our homes. And some of them were oblivious to. Sometimes you see stink bugs running around or cockroaches or spiders But they catalog them. And I think it's totally fascinating, a little bit creepy and mind-blowing. Most of them are harmless. Some of them, like termites, eat through our wood and everything. But uh, most of them are harmless to people. And you wouldn't even know they're there. But I think it's just a fascinating study to see what's, you know, hitchhiking.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I'm new to Texas. And I spent many years in Oceanside, California. And I moved here a a few years ago. I'm like, what the hell is that? kind of flutter buzzy nose and it's called a is it a cicada oh it could be oh my gosh they're these prehistoric looking oval shaped oh yeah bugs that fly and i was like horrified. I had no idea. <laughs> Do you know anything about those? But yeah, I remember my dog
1: cicada likes to eat them. a couple of years ago. They come out like on a, I think it's a seven year life cycle. Maybe you could check that. Oh, but um, yeah, they are interesting. They come out, they mate and then they die. Yeah. And I remember my sister lived in Baltimore and she said they were like thick in the air and they were just cicada skeletons everywhere, like crunching on the sidewalks. They were massive, many, many of them. And they kind of like are like crickets that let off that loud chirping noise that you mentioned they're oh. crickets on
2: steroids. Yes, yes. Don't you think? Sure, All right, well, <laughs> thank you. I'm hoping I I can go for another seven years if I could. Mm-hmm. But you know, you also in your book and everybody we're speaking with Hannah Stiefel and she is the author of Animal Zombies. Her name is her website. Everybody, get your pen out. C H A N A S T I E F E L dot com. You're going to find out more cool things about her. But in doing some of this research, there actually are some misunderstood creatures. One of them, I guess, is the vampire bat.
1: Yes. Um, What's the
2: good thing means- about vampire bats?
1: So, it's really interesting because they get a really bad rap, right? They're so creepy looking. But as I researched the book and I interviewed an interesting bat scientist, I learned so much about them. And one thing is that they're very social animals. They take care of each other. When one bat is sick, they'll go out and get a, a bloody meal and then share it by vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Thanksgiving over at my house! <laughs> but also, they can be beneficial to humans. And people say, like, well, how could something like a vampire bat be beneficial? Well, when they suck blood, they have a protein that's an anticoagulant. It's like a anti-clotting factor to keep the blood flowing right they lap it up it's a myth that they suck it up through their fangs they really like puncture the skin and then they lap it up so to keep the blood flowing they produce this anticoagulant, this anti-clotting factor and scientists have researched it and studied it and they discovered that this could be really useful for stroke victims and keeping blood flow so they've copied that chemical and they're using it to help stroke victims so that's one way that these animals are we call it in the book they're helpers not horrors or horror you know, the question is are they horrors or helpers in this case the vampire bacteria as a helper.
2: All right. Hey, everybody. We're speaking with Hannah Stiefel, the author of Animal Zombies. It's put together by National Geographic Kids. So, you guys, I'm telling you, it is full of amazing illustrations by very, very talented photographers. And Hannah also spotlights some of the scientists that can give us some of the creep factor on some of these and the misunderstood. Before we continue talking with Hannah, listeners, I want to talk to you about grass. All right, not that grass. I'm talking about doggy grass. Come on. For those times when your poor dog is home alone, you don't want their four legs crossed. You don't want to come home to a piddle surprise. So our friends at Doggy Lawn have the solution. They have real grass. Yeah, delivered to you. And it absorbs odors. It's not messy. It's just the natural place to beckon a dog to potty. It's terrific if you live in a motorhome or in an apartment. You name it. I want you all to go to doggylawn.com. And if you put in slash OBEHAVE, you'll get a discount. Woohoo! And every new subscription, Doggy Lawn donates a much needed item to a local dog shelter. So if you go to slash OBEHAVE, you're going to get a discount on your first shipment.
0: Woohoo! Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, I'm Dean Kerns,
1: and you're listening to O'Behave with Arden Moore on Pet Life Radio.
0: We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper, and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to O Behave. Here's Arden.
2: Welcome back to the O Behave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host Arden Moore and I thought I was going to be really creeped out by you Hannah but <laughs> I'm not I want to hang out with you I mean <laughs> seriously I can just see you when you're like somebody else says, so, oh, at a cocktail party what do you do young lady I write about creepy things right H- how do you identify yourself
1: Oh wow. During an um,
2: introduction.
1: Yeah, I'm a children's author. You mentioned earlier I'm a mom. I'm a mom of four kids. Yeah, I also do public relations. I'm a director of PR in All Girls High School. So that's oh, wow. a little scary sometimes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we're talking about your book Animal Zombies, but as from one author to another, we always have to also let people know what's on the horizon. And you've got this cool book because folks, her name is pronounced Hana But it's spelled C-H-A-N-A. And at the start of the show, my producer, Mark Winter and I, he actually went on a site that gives you the correct pronunciations for different names because obviously this is a radio show. And then I'm like, oh, great. Now she's got a challenging last name, too. So we were very happy we got the right name thanks to Mark. The first name, but you and I, I have a name like Arden, you got Hannah and everybody misspells it. So tell us how that has motivated you for your next book and what's it called and what's it about?
1: Right. So I think, as you know, as a writer, everything comes from our passion, right? And and what we know, right? You got to write what you know. So my whole life, people mispronounce my name is Chana, Chana, Kahana, China. You go on and on. Banana, mana, mana. Exactly. So yeah. So I wanted to write. I also can never find my name on a T-shirt or a mug or, or kids you know, nice a a magnet. Research. Never can find my name at a, you know with the rest stuff. So I um I wrote a book called My Name Is Waka Waka and. <laughs> It's my next book coming out from Houghton Mifflin and it's about a cave girl who's upset that no one can pronounce her name and she can never find her name on a, on a t-shirt. So she wants to change her name to something easy, like oog, boog, or goog. And um, it's funny because she's a really like smart, strong girl who has a vision and dreams and um, she goes to the elder and kind of helps her figure it out. So that book is obviously fiction, but it's based on my real life because Hannah Stiefel is a little hard to pronounce, but in the end, I'm very proud of my name. I'm named for my great grandmother and Stiefel I got from my husband. Stiefel in in German means boot. So um, that's something inside of the family. Apparently, yes. And so, yeah. I'm proud of my name. And I think all kids, all adults should be proud of their names. And it's also interesting to kind of research your name and find out where it comes from.
2: Well, I had one book by them. It's Animal Planet, it was called. And I I co-authored it. And it was all these fun things about dogs and cats and other things. So that's my connection with you. But the other one that I really like that you have is it. it came out a couple years ago. And this is important. It's called Why Can't Grandma Remember My Name? Tell us a little bit about that. And that's aimed at kids.
1: Also a book that's near and dear to my heart. I was contacted by an Alzheimer's foundation called the Fisher Center. They were looking for a science writer to write about Alzheimer's for kids because I think there's, um, you know, when unfortunately a relative has Alzheimer's, it's very hard to talk about with kids what's going on there. So they contacted me and we did kind of a Q&A style book with, you know, like why is grandma forgetting things and what can be done and are there medicines and so on. And they did a beautiful job because the illustrations are in alternating pages, either children's art or art done by Alzheimer's patients. Oh my um, gosh. And, yeah, it's really beautiful because it shows you what the human mind is capable of. The art is really beautiful and all the proceeds from that book went to Alzheimer's research. So I'm, I'm very happy with that project. I'm really proud of it and um, and I wish them lots and lots of success. I dedicated it to my grandmother who has since passed away, but she, she suffered from Alzheimer's for maybe 20 years. Yeah. What so, was her? Her name name was Molly Epstein and she passed away about a year and a half ago. She was 93 and she was an awesome lady and she also had a love of nature and the outdoors and uh, she had a dog, always had a dog and she always would take long walks and uh, she had a lot of wisdom and unfortunately she suffered from that disease. So um, yeah, the book is dedicated to her.
2: Well, we're dedicating it this episode to Molly because I don't want to do it to the wasp.
1: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> My family will appreciate that. Yeah. Now, do you have any pets, Hannah? Oh, so right now we have a a betta fish, okay. a beautiful betta fish. And yeah, so we only have one fish. My son, who's 13, wrote me a three-page manifesto of why we should get a dog. Good for him. <laughs> he wants a dog desperately. He's the youngest and he feels lonely in the house that his big siblings aren't around so much. So yes, yeah, he wants a dog desperately. Did he win the argument? Not yet. No. <laughs> I'll, hey, I'll let work. me help him. He wrote that, you know, all the presidents have had dogs and, you know, and it sh- takes shows you compassion and, you know, he would take care of it. And I'm not convinced yet.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, because when you are getting a dog... Uh, You're going to have it longer than the life of maybe a a couple of cars, you know, people change jobs, locations. If you have a dog 10 to 20 years, you know, think of all the milestones that dog goes through with you.
1: Mm, That's a good argument.
2: (laughs) Yeah, But on the other hand, all the good that a dog will do for your son because he's got a best friend, he's going to learn about having responsibility. It teaches his communication skills because he's actually speaking a new language, dog. That's true. I, so there I you go. See, I'm that. a Libra. Yeah. I can argue for yeah. both sides. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some other things? I know I've plucked some things from your book, Animal Zombies. But before we bid adieu, is there a couple ones that you want to make sure that we uh, kind of really? pique the interest of the of our listeners?
1: Yeah. Um, peacock mantis shrimp. Okay. this beautiful looking multicolored shrimp, but it packs a real punch. They say it's not good for a tank. They put it in a glass tank because when it punches with its claw, it could break glass. It's that strong. Wow. wow. It shatter the shells of prey and it even heats up the water when it does that. So you got to look out for the peacock mantis shrimp. Another one is- Is
2: Is it something people would try to eat as a delicacy?
1: I don't know. I mean, it looks kind of appealing. It's really beautiful. It could look
2: beautiful. I mean, can you imagine biting into it and it bites back and you have to go to the dentist?
1: Oh man, it could probably shatter your (laughs) teeth. Yes, I would (laughs) have definitely not eaten it live. Um, And there are so many in here that I just love that I think are really cool. But one is, there's a, a kids love this one. There's a translucent, there's a frog with translucent skin called a glass frog and you can see its inner organs. And when it's alive, you could see its heart pumping. You could see its, capillaries and veins and kids are just floored by this and I have asked kids like what do you think would be like if humans had translucent skin and um, I think it would that would be fascinating right Um, and I think it also would be a little gross but at the same time it might you know humanize people more but you know scientists have looked into why these frogs have translucent skin and their best theory is that it's good camouflage when they're lying on a leaf they just blend into the background so that's yeah, really There's just so many in here. There's a Well, hatch, with, well yeah. with
2: that one, if we can go back to it, can you imagine the little frog kid to mama frog? No, no, I didn't really eat that. It's <laughs> in your stomach, son.
1: <laughs> I can yes, see it. absolutely. Yeah, those pictures are so cool. You can see their bones. I mean, it's just like you could have biology lab without having to cut open the poor thing. Yes.
0: You
2: know? yeah. so. we were going to say something else. What's your other one you want to make sure?
1: Oh, there's so many, but one of them is also something called a hagfish, and it gives off this, to protect itself, gives off this really gross, thick layer of mucus, and you were talking about creatures being helpful, so this is like a very slimy thing, and scientists are finding out that it's a really strong, stretchy material, and they're doing kind of material science to figure out how they can use hagfish slime to to create products that are strong and stretchy, like uh, Kevlar kind of you know, material or like the way, like we use like silkworm silk to create, like well, I can
2: just see it uh, at a at a Hollywood
1: premiere. And what are you wearing? I'm wearing hagfish. Hagfish line. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, darling. That's very strong and so Yeah. So the book is just filled with interesting facts like that. And there's creatures of the deep sea. There are. We didn't talk about the animal vampires, which are animals. Oh yeah. Go, that go blood. ahead. Blood. Yeah. So in addition to vampire bats, there are leeches and lampreys and ticks. And you guys know all about ticks. Oh yeah. And yeah. So it talks about these blood suckers. Like why do animals? suck? blood right right and I've asked kids this and kids are so smart they always come up with the right answers one is that it's very plentiful right it's out there in nature. and the other is that it's packed with nutrients so these animals can get like a really quick meal because all they have to do is they evolve with these um, you know ways of piercing skin and sucking blood and you know that's a way of life for certain creatures well it's kind of like a drive-through for uh, ticks right absolutely blood is so plentiful like it's a good life if you have just a meal (laughs) you
2: know your your four kids hannah must dig you because you know they're like well what do your mom do well she's she works at a bookstore. She's a barista. No, no. My mom writes about animal zombies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You must have great conversations little, yeah. around the dinner table.
1: <laughs> right. Like, well, you know, when you're writing a book, you get very obsessed about the topic. So yeah. I, this was a four-year process. So they're wow. <laughs> very happy the book is out there already. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I think you did a spot-on job. And I'm, I'm still finding little gems out of this book. Thank of course, you. we're speaking with Hannah Stiefeld. She is the author of a natural... National Geographic kids book just came out. It's called Animal Zombies and Other Bloodsucking Beasts, Creepy Creatures, and Real-Life Monsters. This is possum. I mean, really? I'm going to have some cool things to talk about while everybody's eating dinner. Thanks. Awesome. Possum. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and and I want everybody to go to her website please cuz she's not a one trick pony. This gal is amazing. She has strong typing fingers. She writes about a lot of great topics. She really caters to kids. She brings out fascination and your curiosity and all the brain neurons are firing when you read her words. Her website is com. And anything else
1: before we bid you adieu, Hannah? I thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. <laughs> it's been awesome,
2: baby. And uh, <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to uh, my non-creepy producer. I'm speaking of Mark Winner. He is the executive producer of Pet Life Radio. We are the number one pet radio network on the planet. And I'll dare anybody to challenge us. I think we're probably number one on Mars, too. Come on, <laughs> prove it. <laughs> um, also, our show, I'm uh, happy to say, somebody named Oprah said, I like this show, o behave! I'm going to pick it as one of my top three pet podcasts. So we are very honored to win that. And we've been a four-time podcast award nominee. I didn't ever get the car from Oprah, but well, that's all right. As one author to another, Hannah, isn't it nice? We're poor and famous. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So until next time, everyone, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two-, three-, and four-leggers out there. And for this time, all you multi-legged creatures out there. Oh, behave!